Hi friends, thanks for listening. This is your host of the Weirdest Experience podcast, Tina Clark. I also wanted to share with you, I have my own energy healing business called Stargazing Angel LLC. I offer energy healing sessions, EFT tapping sessions, tarot readings, and I also offer classes on Reiki, shamanism, and tarot and more. If you're interested in having a session with me, please call 843-695-7218 or you can email me at contactstargazingangel at gmail.com. You can also check out my website, which is www.tinakinneyclark.com. That's T-I-N-A-K-I-N-N-E-Y-C-L-A-R-K-E. Greetings, I am your host, Tina Clark, and welcome to the second season of my Weirdest Experience podcast. This is the show of the weirdest experience that has ever happened to you and gives you a venue to fully express yourself and share your weirdest story with the world. This is the No Judgment Zone, a safe place to share your experience. And it's also a place where we discuss what happened to you and share some possible theories on what and why this happened. If you would like to be on the show, email me at contactstargazingangel at gmail.com. Hey everyone, welcome to the show. I have Kathleen Donnelly Israel here. She is an author and she had an amazing experience walking the Camino and she's here to tell her story. So welcome to the show, Kathleen. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here. So tell us a little more about yourself and how, why you decided to, to experience the Camino and what happened. I'm, I, I was taking care of my husband. He, had, he got Parkinson's disease and I, um, I thought that we would be riding our bicycles across France in our old age, but that wasn't to be. And so I, um, so I had to think of a new dream for myself. And so I, um, I just realized my microphone's not plugged in. Um, sorry. So I, <clears throat> I, I had a friend who went on the Camino while I was taking care of him. I, I took care of him from, well, he had Parkinson's from 2001 till 2018, but I, he was um, totally disabled from 2010. And around 2013, my friend did the Camino. And even though she was walking with bloody feet and she got blisters and it was, you know, pretty awful. I, I recognized she was doing something very special for herself. And, um, and so I thought, I'm going to do that. When Ron's done with his disease, I'm going to do that. So, um, so anyway, he, he passed away in August of 2018. And um, so I decided to go on the Camino. And um, around January, I started getting my stuff together. And I, I used to walk like five miles a day with my friend, like three times a week. Uh, and that didn't even make me break out of sweat. So I thought, well, I can walk five miles before lunch and five miles after lunch and I can do this. And so, um, so that's why I knew I could do it. <laughs> and I used to um, work at a horse ranch. I, I was a volunteer. I used to pick up the horse pucky and I had a giant uh, wheelbarrow for a horse pucky all um, when I was working over there. So I, I got a really strong core. So that really helped also. And then my sister-in-law decided that I needed to walk up mountains. She's like, you're, you're not walking up mountains. You need to walk up mountains. So she went and found all the mountains in San Diego and we walked up them. And so that prepared me also. And I, and got my stuff together like my uh, you know I, I tried on 
well, I tried on and bought four packs before I got the right one. And so, you know, I just took them back to REI and tried another one. Um, and I bought all these clothing that hardly weighs anything. And I went to a lecture at the library and the lecture lady said, um, she showed us like, here's a shirt and here's a lightweight shirt. So we felt them and so kind of got an idea of what I was looking for. And I tried to buy clothing that sunscreen clothing, um, you know, just trying to accumulate everything I needed. Um, so the, the idea for over there is to pack very lightly so you won't be, so you won't have a trouble walking. It, I guess <laughs> I have a sister and I mean, a, a cousin, actually, she's my niece. Yeah, I have a niece who does backpacking and she looks at my little pack that hardly weighs anything. And she's like, oh my goodness, you're not even backpacking because she takes all her food and her tent and everything with her, but you don't need to do that over on the Camino. You can just walk um, between the albergues and you buy food there. So you don't have to take food with you. So it's just like really cool. Um, so in April, I mean, um, March, I bought my airplane ticket and I was ready to go. And uh, I went to Paris first and stayed there for a week. And then uh, to, so I wouldn't have jet lag. And then I took a little puddle jumper plane over to um, Baritz and took a, a taxi to Bayonne. And that's where the train to Saint-Jean-Pied-de-Port is. So that's what I did. And um, I started the Camino in Saint-Jean. So it sounds like you put a lot of thought into getting ready for your trip. I would have done the same thing because I wouldn't want to carry a heavy pack. So I would have packed as light as possible. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's like a science. I took one bar of soap and I washed my hair, washed my body, washed my clothes and washed my teeth with that same bar of soap. So, so how many miles are we talking about for people who are not familiar with the Camino? It's 500 miles. Actually, it's 498 or 89 or something like that. Mm -hmm. So it's it's almost 500 miles um, from Saint-Jean to Santiago. And you start in France and you walk over the Pyrenees and then you uh, keep going across the Mesita and um, it's just really charming. The, the route was started in the 1200s and people started doing the Camino uh, to St. James uh, grave. <laughs> back now, where do you start in France? Because I've been to southern France. Yeah, it's nor um, yeah, southern France, right. Um, yeah, you start... Um, I don't know that they call it the French way. So mm -hmm. you start in France and go over the Pyrenees. Yeah. That, so where's the nearest town or city that you start from in France? Do you remember? It, it's Saint-Jean-Pied-de-Port is the city you start in. I don't know okay. what's near there. Um, well, Bayonne and Baritz, <laughs> that's where you take the plane into the Baritz. Yeah. So it did. I didn't, I didn't know those places. They were yeah, that that's not any of the like towns that I was in. I was in France like five years ago. Oh, how wonderful. Yeah. So so wow, what did your friends think about or your family think about your plans? Did they say, are you nuts? Why are you doing this? <laughs> My I have five kids and they were all supportive. They were like so glad I was doing something. Cause I took care of my husband for so long, you know, and they were glad I was uh, just doing something wonderful. Yeah. And I told yourself. them all about it and I was not afraid. I went by myself and I walked by myself and every once in a while I met somebody and we walked together for a while, but not, not very much. Mm -hmm. So how many miles a day were you walking? In the beginning, it was 10 miles a day, you know, five miles before lunch, five miles after lunch until one day I got 
the whole 10 miles before lunch. And I'm like, Ooh, I must be buff now. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. you, you're walking along, you just get good. And, um, and so at that point I started walking. Well, it, I think, uh, the, um, the, the 10, the 10 miles was really 13 K I think something like that. And so I started walking 18 K a day. So mm -hmm. anyway, that's like 15 miles, maybe, I don't know, wow. something like that. Um, but, um, usually I, when I, like, I'm walking around here, uh, around San Diego, uh, 13 K is about the top of my, um, I mean, 13 miles is about the top of what I will do before I start spending myself, you know, yeah. after that, I'm just like, oh man, I got to keep walking <laughs> and one foot in front of the other, one foot in front of the other, you know, but, um, walking is a real low tech skill. You know, you can pretty much walk one foot in front of the other for quite a while. <laughs> Yeah, the most I've walked was eight miles and it was for a charity event and I was oh. done. <laughs> yeah, but I wasn't yeah. training like you were. Um, <laughs> but so was the how was the weather and what was the terrain like? I went in spring, uh, so the it was rainy. The rain in Spain is mainly on the plane, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so uh, it was rainy. Uh, it was cold. Like some days when I would start, it would be 39 degrees. When I started, um, one day I was 35 and it warmed up to 39. And I was just like, oh man, this is cold. Mm -hmm. But that's why um, one thing I did was I cooked a potato in the microwave before I left. And then I had that nice warm potato to hold while I was walking and then, um, or I'd put it in my pocket and then I would eat it along the way. It was nice and warm. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really good idea. <laughs> so, um, and the, yeah, it was so beautiful because it was spring and there were flowers, so many beautiful flowers. One of the flowers there is the red poppy. And it's just, um, just gorgeous. Every once in a while, you see a whole field of red poppies. And, and then other times you just see like walking through a town, there'd be like a little one bush of red poppies over there, uh, coming up through a crack in the, in the ground. Um, it's very old. The, um, I'm thinking the houses were there really since the 1200 or something that it was really um, like you would see uh, houses that were really old and then they would build another part on like maybe the old part was a ruins. So it would be kind of like curved, um, like old brick, old brick, old brick. And then up here is like new brick, new brick, new brick and straight and this is all, you know, uneven, and this is all even, and it was just one house. Um, so there was a lot of that going on too. Yeah, it's amazing how much more history they have out in Europe than we do. You know, like, I've been all over Europe, um, except for Germany, for some odd reason, I never made it to Germany. Um, mm. But like, here, people think a house in the 1800s is old, but then you go to Rome and you stand next to the Colosseum, and that is built, what, 89 AD, I think. So we're talking more than a thousand years old. So it's kind of mind boggling when you go out right. there, right? Right. And uh, yeah, and, and there are, are, I mean, the Colosseum is a ruins. I mean, yeah. it's not all there. <laughs> I mean, it is from the outside, I guess maybe it's anyway. Uh, yeah. So there are a lot, a lot of ruins. Um, and then, like I say, a lot of refitted old buildings, but I, I used to go to school in Swiss, Switzerland. And one of the ladies said, you Americans, you think, you know, I went to America and you're talking about your 1800s buildings and and um, you guys have no idea what old old is, you know, and I, I said, well, you know, 
your old buildings are our old buildings because that's where you know a lot of the our ancestors came from is we left our old buildings behind and went to the new world yeah and we actually have really old structures in north america but they've kept it hidden from the public oh oh yeah so we have I mean. we have dolmens in this country out in montana and i've been out to see them twice Hmm. So we don't, they don't even know how old it is, but they're man-made and they're huge, wow. huge. And I, and it's not a secret. You can go to me- montanamegaliths.com and Julie Ryder's the woman that discovered a lot of these places. Um, she's a medicine woman recognized by the Native American tribes out there. And although she's white. But, you know, she's been going out there, finding these places, documenting it online. And she, and she was taking people out there for a while till she got in trouble. Oh, because <laughs> not, you know, but we do have those structures and it's sad how they've suppressed it in this country. I Well, like you say, it, yeah, for the protection, I mean, really the um our our civilization has really destroyed so much of the indians yeah um, deliberately they destroyed things too or just because they're stupid that's all you know well yeah deliberately yeah you're right about yeah. that yeah. yeah they were trying to wipe it out and that, wipe them out that's uh, uh, you know <laughs> history <laughs> What I know all the history that you learned was wrong. <laughs> oh my gosh. Lord have mercy. <laughs> so how long did it take you to walk the whole Camino? I was on the Camino for 66 days, which is a long time. Okay. But I took I took Holy Week off and and then I after a while I was you know, walking and I would get in and I would to the albergue and I would be so tired. I would just lay down and take a nap. And uh, then I would forget to ask where's, you know, is there mass services uh, somewhere? And I would like miss mass on Sunday. And so I'm like, gee, I'm on this holy pilgrimage. I'm not even going to church on Sunday. And so, so at that point I decided I'm spending two nights in on I'm spending Saturday night and Sunday night in one place. So I'm not tired for church on Sunday. So that took a, you know, every week I, I took a, a day off actually became a tourist on that day. And uh, so there were reasons why it took me 66 days. Actually, I got sick a couple of times too. And I had to stay uh, without walking for a few days, a couple of times. So did, did you have to reserve like a hotel to stay at, or it could be very spontaneous? Um, both. There were places that would not take a uh, reservation. And so you, you know, you had to just walk there and hope they had a place, but other places uh, you could make a reservation. And uh, <clears throat> when I went to that um, lecture at the library, she told me, Okay, so set up your first three nights. So, you know, and then um, you can make your reservations after that or not either way. There were people who there who said, no, I don't, I don't want to make a reservation. I just want to walk and find a place to stay. And that's how they did their whole walk. But so many times I would, you know, well, I called the, the night before and, you know, using my Spanish, uh, uh, quiero uno, una cama para uh, esta noche. And so I would uh, get a, a bed for the night at a place. And invariably, when I got there, they would say, we're full. And I'd say, I have a reservation. And they asked me my name, and they let me in. So that told me, yeah, you need to get a reservation. Yeah. So there were people who walked, people who walk it, do they actually camp out sometimes? They tell you not to. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I first got there, I was looking around thinking, well, how do I know I'm going to get a place, you know, if some of them don't take reservations? And yeah, see, that would but, cause me anxiety. <laughs> I know I was looking around at the terrain and thinking, oh, okay, well, there's a porch. I could sleep under that porch or, uh, you know, things like that, because they tell you, you can't camp. They don't let you camp. Yeah, they don't it's want probably you not to- safe. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also it's just an eyesore. A lot of people are litter bugs and boy, um, it would be really littered if people, um, if people did that. I, I took all my stuff with me, you know, like if I had to go in the bushes, I had a bag to put my paper in and stuff. I didn't, I didn't leave anything myself because here in California, like it's a thousand dollar uh, feed to to litter or something like that so we we don't litter too much here anyway there are some people who do but do they actually enforce it though if they see you if they see you but I would say no so we have usually... so many rules we don't have a lot of rules or laws here in South Carolina but nobody enforces it so nobody follows it <laughs> well I you know I I was horrified when I saw the litter on the Camino, like you're walking along and there's no place to, there's no restrooms there and you have to go find the bush in the bushes. So I would like be looking for some bushes to go behind. And I was just horrified at all the toilet paper everywhere in these Mm -hmm. little places behind bushes, you know, that you go to. And and at first I thought, oh man, I got to pick, you know, I got to clean this up. And, And then I thought, no, don't do that. Mm-hmm. that that's dangerous. <laughs> so uh, after a while, you know, when I would, would like go in the bushes and, and I would see a bunch of toilet paper and I'd be like, oh, this is a good place to go, you know, but I never left my paper. I, I always took it out. Yeah. France is like that too. Like, cause it's so rural in, in Southern France, there was never any bathrooms. And we were on a guided tour and the tour guide was male. So he kind of <laughs> dropped the ball on the whole bathroom thing in general. But like after nine days of peeing in the bushes, I was tired of it. <laughs> well, as women, you know, we need to wear a skirt. And I did mm-hmm. not know that. Mm-hmm. And so um, halfway through, I actually, or I don't know, I guess it was more than halfway through, but I, I took a pair of my pants and made a skirt out of them. I I cut the legs off uh, right, right below the pocket. So I'd have the pocket intact and I cut the legs in half and cut them apart and sewed them together and sewed them on there. So I had a skirt because I, I got really tired of burying my butt every time I had to pee. So a skirt is recommended, not a skirt, because you still have to bear your butt. But um, so, would <laughs> you skirt. wear like? Um, could you wear like pants and have a skirt over it? Yeah, like a lot, like absolutely. And yeah. then you know that would be good. That's um, a really good idea. I don't understand the whole lack of bathroom thing in Europe. Like, it's not. I'm not popular. That's not. <laughs> That was definitely not a benefit to me because I was like, people need to go to the bathroom and you're going to make them go. Or, I mean, I get like bathrooms get gross, but, you know. Well, that's, uh, you know, that was the good thing about having a bar in every town because I would be walking along and if I had to go, I'm like, okay, well, I have to go into this bar, buy a coffee, and then I can use their bathroom. Yeah. And. Uh, you know, so that was good. But if there wasn't any, uh, I was, uh, one time I was walking along and there was no town close at all. And I had to go and I'm like, you know, I, I used to, when I, um, when I go camping here, I would find a log and, you know, put my butt over the edge and, you know, go and, uh, and so I was looking for a log to, and I saw some rocks. So I sat on this rock and I sat way back and, and, uh, I was, I was going and this guy came by, <clears throat> I saw him coming and I'm like, oh man. 
So, um, so I kind of grabbed a sandwich and put a scarf over me and acted like I was just sitting there eating my sandwich. And uh, then when the wa guy walked by, he goes, oh, I thought you were, I thought you were taking a wee. And, and I said, I am. <laughs> <laughs> and then he started laughing. He said, well, thank you for that. You know, <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh. Another time I was, uh, I had to go and I, I was long, along a freeway. There no, were no bushes. There wasn't anything. And uh, so I, I had a raincoat. It was raining and I had a raincoat on and I'm like, well, this raincoat is kind of like a skirt. It's kind of around me. So mm -hmm. I, you know, sat down on this little pillar by the, by the uh, road <laughs> and the wind came up and just blew the, my, my poncho up over my head. And this tr truck came by and he was honking his horn. And I was like, well, I'll never see him again. You know? <laughs> <laughs> So it was, it was pretty, you know, interesting, I, I should say. What kind of shoes did you wear? I, I love Basque hiking boots. Uh, some people wear like just walking shoes or running shoes. And a lot of people swear by them, but I have a foot problem. And so I thought I need the support of some hiking boots. And I bought, um, so I had a pair of Basque hiking boots and I thought, well, I need waterproof hiking boots. So I bought another pair just so I could have the waterproof. And I found out they were not waterproof. They just filled right up with water. Oh. Um, and so, uh, but it was good because if you have, I mean, I found out later, if you have waterproof shoes, they don't breathe and it's easier to get blisters if your shoes aren't breathing. So it turned out good. I mean, my feet were wet, but at least they weren't, you know, I didn't get blisters. Yeah. Yeah. And you used the same pair of shoes for the whole trip. Yeah. So what you do is you, you got your hiking boots or whatever you're going to wear for hiking. And then you have a pair of shower shoes. And so um, like in the evening, you can wear your shower shoes. If your feet are tired of being in your hiking boots, mm -hmm. that's what you have. Like, I mean, you go to Europe. I mean, it's kind of a big deal to go to Europe from the U.S. and all you have is hiking boots and shower shoes with you because yep. you don't want to carry anything, you know. Right. And, um, yep, that's what I did. And um, I actually went again. Uh, I did the Camino in Portugal last year, 2001, mm -hmm. and I took some Crocs for my shower shoes before I had these other slip on ones. And so I took Crocs because they hardly weigh anything. And they were actually shoes I could wear. I mean, I even hiked up a mountain in my shower shoes. I mean, my Crocs one day. Oh, wow. Yeah. And they were comfortable. It was, I could have worn them the whole time, really. But Yeah, they're I mean, popular now. I see like teenagers wearing Crocs now. Yeah. And yeah. yeah and I, ha I have to wear an orthotic. I have a foot problem. And so the Crocs kind of go up on the back and they're up on the front. So you can wear an orthotic in your Crocs too. Mm. So that was really good. Cause I always, I, I can't really, it's, it's just um, painful to walk around without my orthotic. So, yeah. So what did, what did you learn from the experience? What did you get out of it? How did it change you? It changed me. Um, well, one, one thing it did get me away from my home, which is like my house is, was full of my husband's stuff and I was trying to get rid of it and it was painful to get rid of it. And oh my gosh. So it, it took me away from that situation yeah. for, you know, actually I was gone for three months. So that was good. And then the other thing that I learned is that I can take care of myself. So when I got married, I just went from my mother's house to my husband's house. And even though we were both kids and we did make our life together, I was never alone. I never, you know, I never had to um, be the one, the only one, you know, taking care of me. Yeah. And uh, yeah, with five kids, I took care of people, but not myself. So I, I took care of myself and I, um, it was like, um, 
I believed I could do it, but afterwards I knew I could do it, you know? Mm -hmm. So I, I never thought I couldn't do it. Um, I was very careful to not fall. When my husband died, my son you know, before he went home after the funeral, he goes, okay, mom, you're going to have a good life here. Don't fall. (laughs) He's a paramedic. So he picks people up off the ground all the time. Mm-hmm. And he knows what happens. So I've been always very careful not to fall. And while I was on the Camino, I was afraid. To, I mean, I wasn't really afraid, but I just very careful not to fall. And you I, never did? Uh, I did actually fall um, gracefully, slowly, mm-hmm. like I lost my balance and and I I did fall uh, slowly to the ground, uh, but it wasn't like I fell. It was just like, uh, but I was walking a lot on, I was walking on this. I mean, it was a downhill and all of a sudden the, this, the road, the trail was over these rocks that weren't laying flat. They were, they were standing on end and they were all uneven at the top and you're trying to walk on them and, I was like, yeah, I, I can't do this. <laughs> and so I just um, sort of fell, uh, kind of. And then I just didn't get up. I just scooched my way down on my butt the whole rest of the way. And it was quite a ways. And when I got to the bottom, I, I was very glad I didn't have holes in my pants. But <laughs> I just was like, I'm not falling. I'm not going to do this. you need this. to wear a skirt over pants <laughs> in case you have to scoot yeah. somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I had... Cause I, that's what I brought with me was pants yeah. and, uh, and I, I had, you know, kind of high tech pants from REI that were lightweight, but they were, you know, they were, um, sturdy, I guess I would say. And, yeah. um, they didn't even act like I, they didn't even act like maybe they were going to get a hole in them. They were, they were good. <laughs> so, yeah, <yay>. good. <laughs> so you had a poltergeist experience. So why don't, I'd love to hear that story. Oh, yeah. In my house, uh, when my children were growing up, uh, actually, we bought my grandmother's house when uh, we, we, had, we had bought this brand new house. And, and uh, my husband told my grandmother, if you ever want to sell your house, we want to buy it. Mm-hmm. He didn't ask me about it. He just told her that. And so she got sick and she thought she was dying. And she called us, called my husband up and said, okay, I'm ready to sell you my house. (laughs) And, and he was like, oh, great. So we sold our house, you know, and, and then we, we bought my grandmother's house. And I had, when I was um, maybe 13 or something, I had an experience at my grandmother's house that my uncle died. And he, I, you know, he, he had this bedroom at my grandmother's house. She was taking care of him or, you know, they, you know, she's living with her brother. And, uh, I remember going into his room. We went in to say goodbye to my uncle, uncle Val. And I remember he was laying there in the bedroom with a red blanket over him. And, uh, and he was talking really weird. He thought we were, they came from Hungary. And so he thought he, we were his um, nieces and nephews in Hungary. And he was telling us to make sure we took care of the chickens while he, you know, cause he knew he was dying. And, mm-hmm. and, um, and my grandmother said, he, he's just, you know, he's just a little bit out of his mind, but he just thinks you're the, you know, the kids in Hungary. So that was, you know, that was part of it, actually. So um, when we moved into that house, I didn't realize why I was, I kept buying things for the room that were red. And it didn't occur to me, you know, the red blanket on my uncle, but uh, I put red carpet in there and uh, I bought red sheets for the kids' beds and, um, one day my, my daughter was crying at night and she said, she, I went in and she said, mommy, I hear breathing. And I'm like, then at that point I thought, oh yeah, this is where her bed was, where was where the 
head of his bed when he died. Mm-hmm. And so I just took the bunk bed and put it on a different wall. And I never heard anything about it after that. Well, my sister came and lived with us. Um, and so we had a little cottage out back. And, and so they lived in the cottage for a while. And she always said, Kathleen, you have ghosts in this house. There are spirits here. They're, they're not good. You know, we need, we need to get rid of them. And I'm like, well, I never thought that myself, except for that breathing situation. Um, another time I went in the kid's bedroom, my son was crying and I went in there and he was in the bottom bunk and I felt like there was all these things hanging down, like they were dirty rags hanging down from the, from the bed up above, uh, like covering him. And so when I went in there, I had to take my hands and pull them away so that I could get to him. And, uh, that was really weird too. Uh, and then, uh, anyway, so that was weird. So my sister, went to this charismatic church and uh, she had this um, minister that she wanted to come out and have him cleanse the house. I'm like, okay. And so he came out and we were all sitting around in the front room and he said, well, I don't feel any spirits. And I said, well, I don't either. And then Maureen said, yes, there's spirits here. And so, So he just went around and blessed all the lintels of the house. He blessed the top of all the doorways in the house. Mm -hmm. And when he got to that bedroom, he went inside and uh, he was saying his blessing on on the room. And then all of a sudden he put his hand out straight out. And he said, um, he said, halt or something like that. And he said, uh, I bind you, um, something he said, he bound the spirit up and he sent it away. Mm. And I, and then when the spirit left, my daughter in the next room was crying and I was so angry. I was like, that spirit touched my baby, you know? And I was like, oh man. Um, um, so anyway, the, the, the house was cleansed. That was where it was in that bedroom. And it, and it was like a hangers on from my uncle, I guess. But, uh, my brother, when my brother was a kid, our family had six children. It was very noisy in my mother's house. And my brother, mm-hmm. when he was going to college, he went and lived with my grandmother, uh, because he, you know, so he could have quiet while he was studying. And he would, he was supposed to sleep in that room, but he would never sleep in there. He just, he went in there and he's like, no, I'm not sleeping in here. He slept on the couch in the front room or in the family room. And so that was kind of a weird thing too. So I told Jim about the, you know, the poltergeist that left and he goes, he got mad at me. He's like, you mean, you mean you got rid of uncle Val, you know, like I, I had, you know, now uncle Val's out there and he doesn't have a place to stay, you know, and he was angry with me. And so I, I told Maureen about that and she talked to Barry, the, the minister. And he said, no, it wasn't uncle Val. It was a spirit that had attached itself to uncle Val. And we got rid of that spirit. What kind of minister, what kind of minister was he? What church? It was, uh, um, it was a charismatic church. I mean, we're Catholic and Maureen didn't give up her faith. She was still Catholic. She still went to the Catholic church, but they went mm-hmm. to this. Um, I think uh, it was a church without a building. So they called themselves a church mm-hmm. and they got together in each other's homes. And um, he but was, was it Catholic? I mean, they tithed to him and stuff. Um was he Catholic or he was another kind I, of Christian pastor? I don't think so. I don't think he was Catholic. Um, well, he seemed like he knew what he was doing. Right. That's what she, cause she knew that she knew he knew what he was doing. Yeah. And hmm. uh, that's interesting. I've never had a poltergeist uh, 
activity around me, but I've had things moved and really missing. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like actually, since I brought up Montana, the last two times I went to Montana, uh, my keys got moved. Oh, and it was really obvious. Like where were you when they were moved? So we were, my friend and I stayed at a haunted hotel. Oh, oh gosh. Yeah. You are brave. Oh my goodness. Well, there's a lot of haunted places, but um, like, you know, the spirits are always around, but she liked there, this was in the middle of nowhere. So there's not a lot of choices for places to stay. Mm -hmm. And this was near a location that we wanted to visit. So um, I have my ways of dealing with, with that kind of activity, but mm. when we, I was driving an SUV and we drove from the airport to the hotel and pulled into the parking lot and we decided to go inside and check in without our luggage and check our rooms to see if we liked it. So mm-hmm. I took the keys out of the ignition and I locked, when we walked away, we locked the door and I made that sound. Uh-huh. She heard it too, because I verified, I said later, she heard that locking sound and I put the keys in my backpack and then we checked in and went to our rooms and rooms were fine. So I started looking for the car keys to go back to the car. I couldn't find them. Mm. And so I had this little blue backpack and I threw everything on the bed, you know, and I couldn't find it. And I told my friend, I was like, I can't find the keys. I know I put them in the backpack. And I said, you heard me lock the car, right? And she said, yeah, I heard it. So she's calm. You know, she's like, let's go back to the car and look around. Well, we walked back up to the car and it was unlocked and the keys were in the console. Oh, man. <sighs> And then I said in my head, because, you know, spirit can hear your thoughts. I said, don't ever do that again. If you do, if you mess with me again, you'll regret it. Oh, you did. Yes, I did. Well, and nothing else happened. have a plan for the, for the regret. <laughs> well, you know, I have, I have guardians, so I can yeah. always call in my protection and my guardians and stuff. Um, but yeah, nothing else happened for the rest of the week. <laughs> well, that's good. Boy, after my husband died, um, you know, after they took him away and the next day, every time I went into the bedroom, the door was open. I mean, that door to the outside was open and I would go over and close it. And then I would go back in there again and the door was open. And after about three times of that, I just said, okay, Ron, don't creep me out. Yeah. And, and I went and locked the door. He's trying to tell you he's still around. Yeah. So once you get the message, right, you say, okay, I get it. But the second time I went to Montana, I stayed at a hotel and I lost my keys in my suitcase. Like I had keys in my suitcase and it completely Uh disappeared. Oh gosh. And I'm kind of mad about that because <laughs> I had <laughs> like my car keys in there, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I didn't even take them out of the suitcase because I didn't use those keys. You know what I mean? They were like my home keys. Um, yeah. But every time I go to Montana, maybe they don't want me to leave because they keep taking Oh, my that's keys. a sweet thought. That's a sweet thought. I don't thought. know. I don't like that though. So no. um, yeah. And I went last summer to Montana and Utah we my friend and I stayed at a Airbnb for one night in the mountains in Utah Uh and my cell phone levitated to another location in my room I didn't Uh see it happen like I said it just ended up in a different place so you know when you go to sleep and you put your phone next to you right everybody does that when you travel yeah right? Because that's your alarm clock. That's people look at their phone all the time. So I didn't plug in my phone because it was already fully charged. I just turned it off and put it on the nightstand next to me. Well, in the morning I woke up and my phone was gone. 
Oh, man. And so I'm looking, I'm looking, and I'm looking around the bed, and I had like this small green backpack that I used, you know, just for overnight things, and it was at the foot of the bed. And when I moved the backpack, the cell phone was right there on the floor. There is no way, unless I am sleepwalking, which I don't do, that that phone, and I would have put that phone there on the floor. Yeah, right. (laughs) <laughs> so I told my friend who was sleeping downstairs, I said, yeah, I think I'm ready to go. <laughs> I was glad right. I wasn't staying there for another night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would, I mean, I have been in situations where I suppose there were spirits. And really when I go to a hotel and you don't know what's gone on in that hotel especially an old place there's probably stuff has gone on you know this was like an a-frame cabin next to the owner's house so literally you could walk like 20 steps to the owner's house from there but it was odd like it it was beautiful but it was weird I don't Mm. know what was going on with that place but you can feel stuff you know you Mm -hmm. can feel stuff Yeah, I know in my life, I have um, in the past, I had a rough childhood. And so I have been attracting really crummy experiences all my life because I've been sending out all these negative vibrations because it's been crummy since the beginning, you know, and um, I attracted all kinds of hangers on uh, that sort of recognized my sadness and were attracted to me and just, you know, they were all around me and, uh, people, I mean, this is what I think. I don't see spirits, but, um, our spirits see the spirits of other people, you know, and people just didn't like me and I didn't know why I just figured I was inferior or something. I don't know, but, um, but I noticed that people didn't like me. And so, um, but I think that's why, cause I had all those hangers on from just being sad all my life and yeah. attracting them. And I, I had this really great thing. I, I did this Ho'oponopono mm-hmm. and <clears throat> it actually cleared them away from me. And I don't have, I don't have those spirits anymore. And I, I'm always like trying to, make myself happy. I mean, of course, if something's sad, I, I, I feel the sadness, but if I don't need to participate in it very long, I I try and let it go as quickly as possible so I can be happy. So I can bring in the good experiences. I'm really kind of done with, um, attracting crap in my life. (laughs) Yeah. I'm, I'm surprised that I didn't have more hangers on, um, as a child just because I was a very fearful child, you mm. know, because I'm very sensitive. So I felt, you know, I was scared of the dark and I was scared of the woods and, you know, I was scared of a lot of things. So, but I always, I chalk it up to my guardian angels that they just didn't allow anything to attach to me. But yeah, they did the superb job because... Oh, nice. I I grew up in New York City. Can you imagine? Like you got a lot of humans, you got a lot of spirits, and a lot going on there. A lot of stress, a lot of negativity and darkness. And right. and I I I pretty much got through it unscathed. It's just I was very fearful because at I would feel a lot of things. Like at night, I would feel like I wasn't alone and. I would feel like I was being watched. And when I was in the woods, I felt like I was being watched. And, you know, I'm sure everybody thought I was like, you know, the least courageous kid. (laughs) Scared of everything. You sound very courageous to me. (laughs) Now I am. Because Uh, I know what I'm dealing with and I've practiced and I'm empowered now. But when you're a child, Right. You know, and I'm very different from the rest of my family. So they either deny that they're feeling anything or, 
um, they're afraid or, well, they're afraid too, but there's no one to really teach me, hey, Tina, I feel this too, you know, or right. like what you're feeling is, is I'm feeling it too. No one ever said that, but I had a lot of friends that had seen ghosts and stuff and told me stories and I started believing in them because of course I've been feeling it my whole life, but they had seen them. And so I was like, why would my friends lie to me? You know, they're my best friends. So I had no choice, but to believe them. Right. 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 And you felt it too. I mean, it's not like it wasn't this visceral or something. I know my, you know, that little part about the story that uh, those things hanging down uh, yeah, around my son's bed. And I told him about it. I mean, we didn't really discuss it at the time. I just held him and, you know, sang to him. Um, but um, I told him about it later and he goes, mom, why didn't you tell me? I saw that too, you know? So, I mean, I, I didn't even, I was just trying to comfort him. I wasn't, you know, but I just put that back in my mind and I just thought it was weird and like a mother would just go in after her child, even though there was weird stuff in the way. That's it. You know, yeah. I'm not, you yeah. know, this isn't scaring me at all. Here's my kid. I'm, I'm right. going there. <laughs> right. You're going to do what you need to, but was it actually physical rags or. It was, you know, in the middle of the night, um, it, uh, yeah, it looked like they were, some of them were gossamer. It was just like rags, like, um, weird. Yeah, just cloth that was dirty uh, and hanging and, you know, like pieces of cloth that were hanging. I could, I could make my way through it like this. I could push them aside. It's another thing about me when I was younger and I'm still like this, but if I saw something scary, I couldn't get the picture out of my mind. Uh, It would literally stick in my mind. And I have a, 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 young daughter this she's the same way yeah so I tell her be very careful about what you're watching or if you see something scary because she said to me before I can't stop seeing it and I was the same way I couldn't stop seeing that scary face or that scary vision or whatever yeah To, you know, my daughter did that too. I remember one time she said, mom, every time I close my eyes, I see these eyes looking at me. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe she still sees them. I see them. I see, I see like lights, but that form into eyes and a mouth and a nose. And sometimes they turn into faces, but I accept that. It's like nothing that's going to hurt me. I'm just kind of seeing stuff. It's just disturbing. That's all. Yeah. When you're a kid, it's terrifying. You're like, what the, and then what the heck is this? Let me just go to sleep. (laughs) Yeah. Like um, she just didn't want to close her eyes. I mean, what do you do if you don't want to close your eyes? You know, especially if your child, it's, it's scary. Uh, I didn't really know what to do about that. I just hugged her and, you know, I didn't have that skill what to tell her. I didn't have a lot of nightmares as a kid, but I remember the ones that I did have where you're literally wake up screaming. Mm. And I had this nightmare where I saw this, I think it was like a red velvet curtain and there were all these eyeballs on it, like blinking eyes on it. And I was, I woke up screaming And I realized what, what I was dreaming is that I was feeling like I was being watched all the time. Oh, those eyes. Yeah. They were always like watching me, except, you know, I had a a nightmare about it. (laughs) Oh, you know, it's just like, oh my goodness. We, um, anyway, we somehow make our way through this stuff that's really going on out there that we have no idea what it is. I know I have a, um, I have a thing that I do with, um, like I, I will get just kind of, uh, sad or something and I, I, it's uncomfortable. And so what I do is I, I take my hand, I put it, let me say, I put it on my chest and then I put mm-hmm. the other hand 
right over it and I push whatever it is away and then I zip myself up like this and it's like pushing anything that's not me away from me yeah. and then uh, zipping myself up. And when I do that, like the colors get brighter and stuff. It's like I had something around me that uh, wasn't okay. And yeah. so I get rid of it. And and then I, I can be happy more easily when I do that. There's a statement that I recently learned um, to say that I really like it's you can just say it out louder to yourself if you're feeling uncomfortable for whatever reason in a location or around certain people or in, you know, in your house, you can say, if you're not here for my highest good, you must leave. Mm, right. That sounds good. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you kind of have to maybe say it with authority. Yeah. Yeah, you have to, you have to be empowered. You have to believe you can command your space. You can command what you're going to experience and you can't be afraid at all. Like it, the more afraid you are, the weaker you will appear. So you really have to be like, that's why I said when I, when my keys went missing, mm -hmm. that's why I said, don't mess with me or you'll regret it. Mm. So I was really standing in my power saying, don't do this again. And like the angels have to have us come, I invite them in. So mm -hmm. maybe the, the other spirits that aren't angels, maybe they have to go if we say so, you know? Yeah, they do <clears throat> for sure. So you wrote a book about your uh, Camino experience. So you can tell us about the book and where we can listeners can get a copy yeah it's um well the the name of the book is wisdom on the camino and it and the subtitle is a spiritual journey sharing forgiveness and possibilities to inspire the rest of your life and i really believe that uh by kathleen donnelly israel and my uh while my husband was ill I actually studied online uh, healers because I, I had that post-traumatic stress disorder. So I, was, I felt like God kept sending me healers and I would buy their little program and do it until it was boring. And then God would send me another one. And I just, you know, over the years, I mean, I, I had to be there, I, you know, so I, I had time to do that. And over the years, I just sort of developed my own philosophies and uh, synthesizing what I had learned from all those teachers. And so I felt like I wanted to write a book about my philosophies. And then I was just like, oh, I don't want to seem all teachy, you know? And so I remembered, I told people about those things on the Camino because the pilgrims talk to each other. We just share. And if we see a person with a problem, maybe we had, this is how I handled that, you know? Mm -hmm. and, a lot of my philosophies are about how to handle problems because I had so many problems. Um, so, um, so I wrote the book about walking the Camino and telling people about those things. So I, um, and so, <clears throat> so you can get it on Amazon wisdom. You just put wisdom on the, and you push C and it comes up with wisdom on the Caminos. So it, it, it comes up. Uh, and uh, Kathleen Donnelly Israel, you know, Donnelly's my maiden name, and my husband's name is Israel. Uh, I have a website, uh, wisdomonthecamino.com, mm -hmm. and you can get it, um, you know, there's a link to the Amazon one, but it's it's real easy to go to Amazon, and I have it, um, um, you know, a digital book and a physical book. Um, the cover is really cool. The guy who did my cover he, um, I have a picture of me and then on the inside of it he's got another picture of me walking towards you inside that picture and it's really cool <laughs> yeah let's see it again because you were you held it up yeah so here's see, that looks like a big backpack to me <laughs> yeah um you know it really does doesn't it yeah but it was uh it was everything I needed. I actually did have a few things that I didn't need in there and I didn't know I didn't need them. So yeah. when I got to Astorga, I sent like 
uh, a liter and a half full of stuff back to my house in San Diego. Um, so this was actually taken on the first day of my trek, uh, that picture there. How, how heavy was your pack? Did you weigh it? Um, it was, uh, it was a 36 liter pack and it was 10, uh, kilos, which I don't know what, you know, I weighed it, uh, the first day, um, when I was signing in at the pilgrim office, I weighed my pack and it was 10 kilos and that's without water. Of course, water is like the most heavy thing you can have, but you have yeah. to have water. Was there and places to fill up for water? There were, uh, but you, they said, if it doesn't say potable water on it, don't, don't use yeah. it. I mean, yeah. there's um, fountains in all the towns, but if it doesn't say potable, don't drink it. So that's uh, actually 22 pounds. 22 pounds? Yep. Okay. Without my water, huh? Yeah, without your water. <laughs> So that's when I was a, a, a teenager, I used to backpack and they said that our pack could be a quarter of our weight. So that was quite a bit less than a quarter of my weight, uh, mm -hmm. 22. Yeah, probably. Well, anyway, um, I had a 20, when I was like 18, I had a 25 pound pack cause I weighed mm -hmm. and I weighed 110 back then. Um, so, um, but then I had, you know, a tent in my pack and I had food for the week type yeah. of thing. Yeah. So, um, well, thank you so much, Kathleen, for sharing your stories and, um, your experience on the Camino and some of your paranormal experiences too. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, thank you for, for having me on your show. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Thank you for listening. If you have a weird experience to share, please email me at contactstargazingangel at gmail.com. Check out our website on tinakinneyclark.com. Also, we're on Facebook and like us on Facebook and share your favorite episodes with your friends and family. I look forward to hearing about your weirdest experience.